as Brother Lambert would say, I got enough paper to start a fire. So I thought I had fire in the pulpit. Uh, I want to say how good Brad preached last Sunday. Great message. I love hearing him preach. Um, Brenda and I can't improve upon our vocabulary to tell you how much last Sunday meant to us. Um, it was just overwhelming. We love being here. And I'm glad you let us stay as long as we have because we love this place. And we bought burial plots here, so we're not, not here on this property, but, you know, over there somewhere. And so we're, we're planning on it. If the Lord doesn't come, we're going to be planted over there, you know. So uh, we are here for the duration. Um, we'll have communion at the end of the service, and I think we're going to have a very special time with communion this morning. There's just something prophetic about this this property, this church, this history, and I just believe we haven't scratched the surface of what God wants to do right here in this location. So I'm eager to see what the Lord has in, in store for us. Um, you have the handout, and I'm going to be going over those points with you in just a moment. But I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 5, first of all. And uh, I just think Ephesians 5 is the best description, the best analogy of Christ and the church. I've titled this message Christ Church. And there's some people that have called their church Christ Church. That's okay, but it's kind of worldwide, I think. And, uh, but Ephesians 5 is one of my favorite passages. I was thinking about this message in 40, 45 years ago. I did my first wedding. The groom was 17 years of age and the bride was 15. And I'm not going to go into any of the details about that. But I was a youth pastor at a home missions church in Chiefland, Florida. And I was entrusted by these two families to conduct a wedding ceremony. And we had these little black ceremony books they give you at Southeastern when you're in pastoral theology. And it's got all the kind of services, how you do it. And so I looked at it and, and it had this program and it was just, I just did the program. And they had two little blank places, one for the groom, one for the bride. And I just wrote the groom's name in that book and wrote the bride's name in that book. And I thought that was super, super cool. I can stay on point. I won't forget anybody's name until the next wedding. I had to take white out and white out the groom's name and the bride's name. And, and I did that two or three times. I said, wait a minute. I don't think you're supposed to be doing this. So I started kind of like tailoring every. Now I don't even use that, that at all. I haven't used it. In years and years, I write, I customize every wedding. I seek the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to, to say in this wedding? How can you be the centerpiece of what's going to happen here? Because I, to be honest with you, I'd rather do funerals than weddings. I'm, I'm sorry that that sounds bad. Uh, because it, it's just so tense at a wedding. Have you ever felt that? And you know what I'm saying? Don't blow it. <laughs> Don't mess up. Everybody's so dressed up and all this money that's been invested. But one thing over the years that I've decided that I would not do a wedding ceremony without Ephesians 5. I've, I, I can't remember when I did not use Ephesians 5. There's Genesis 3. There's other passages of Scripture. But I always come back because Genesis 5 kind of tells us how God sees his church. And he uses a husband and wife to tell us about that. They said, well, it could be the other way around. But I don't, I don't know. I believe the, he wants to give us a picture of how Christ and the church works by looking at a husband 
and wife. I'm going to read from, um, on the screen is going to be uh, verse 27, but I'm going to read this section. It says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And the lady said, Amen. That, that's a good thing, right? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. He's talking about Jesus doing this ministry to his church <clears throat> with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, other renderings of verse 27 may say a radiant church. If you're in the NIV, it says that he would present a radiant church, that he's in the process of bringing a church to himself that's radiant. Uh, Amplified says he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor. And the word there has the idea of something honorable, something esteemed, that the church would be his crown jewel, that the church would be his bride-to-be, that he's going to be bringing about a bride, a wife, a covenant partner, a church, not having spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. This is Christ's church. And the word for church comes from the word ecclesia. I think that might be on the screen. Um, I was talking to Guillermo about this, that uh, in Spanish, the, the word for church is iglesia. And it comes really from this word. Ecclesian is to be called out. Ecclesia is a called out assembly of God. And in Spanish, they really come close to the Greek rendering. Now, I brought in my yard, if anybody's ever went past my house, there's one centerpiece of my yard. What is that, Carolyn? That centerpiece in my yard. It is my Japanese red maple. I mean, it is when she starts leafing out, I go out there and talk to her. I said, you're just showing off today. You're showing off. All these people driving by and everybody that meets us like, are you the house with the Japanese red man? I says, yes. <laughs> yes. That's my tree. That's the centerpiece of our yard. And I'm telling you, if something happened to that tree, I will need counseling for at least a month. Well, what I'm holding up here and why I brought this to you, he's like, this is my Japanese red maple in my library. <laughs> this is a multi-volume set of books. I will, I will let go of everything that's on those shelves except these. And Shelby Piercy can tell you why. They stopped making these. And this was the complete biblical library. When they started it, they did one volume at a town, and it was like $35, and I signed up. When I saw the first one, I signed up. And they were, they were just getting them out every so often. And I got the whole New Testament, all of the Old Testament. And this is, this is my Japanese red maple. And when you open it here, it has ecclesia right here. And it shows you every place in the New Testament that ecclesia is. All the way over onto the second page. These are all passages of Scripture. Now, the interesting thing when you look at this list only four of the times this word is mentioned in the Bible, only four of the times is from the start of Acts to Revelation 22. 
All the rest of, of, of the times it's mentioned is from Acts through Revela to Revelation 22. There's three times the word is used in Matthew and once in, in Revelation 22. Other than that, the rest of the New Testament is kind of like, is there something about that that we can get? That this is the word for church. The church is, is not mentioned at all in Mark, Luke, or John at all. The word is not mentioned at all. And it's only mentioned three times in Matthew, and it's in two locations. One is in chapter 16. We're going to go there in just a moment. The other one is in chapter 18 when Jesus talked about discipline in the church. That if you correct someone and, and uh, you know, they don't respond, that the elders of the church deal with it, and if that doesn't work, you have to take, bring the person, you know that passage? That's twice he uses the word church, ecclesia. He never uses that word that's recorded in the four Gospels except in those two locations. I'm going to take you, though, to that one location in Matthew 16. If you want to, you can turn there. Because this is really gets in the meat of what I want to share with you this morning is it starts right here in Matthew 16. One, one of the things I love is listening to orthodoxy on audio of Chesterton's great masterpiece. And I also have Mere Christianity on audio. And I love something that C.S. Lewis says. Early in that book, he gives the reader a warning. This is the warning that C.S. Lewis gives. And it's about the church, okay? He said, the reader should be warned that I offer no help to anyone who is hesitating between two denominations. I always found it interesting when someone asks me what my religion is, that they're looking for me to tell them what church I go to. And I always say Christianity. That's my religion. But he says, you're not going to find any help in this book if you're trying to decide between two denominations. You will not learn from me whether you ought to become an Anglican, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, or a Roman Catholic. This omission is intentional. Even in the list, he says, I just gave, the order is alphabetical. He wouldn't even list them any other way. He says, I'm not talking to you about denominations. Do you think sometimes we're, we're a little bit too caught up in the labels? He goes on and he writes this. I think we must admit that the discussion of these disputed points, these theological differences that we have, has no tendency at all to bring an outsider into the Christian fold. So long as we write and talk about them, we are much more likely to deter him from entering any Christian communion. And from that point on, I really like the way he looks at a gathering, the ecclesia, a gathering of the people of God as a communion of people and not an assembly under a first assembly of God or first Baptist or whatever we got out there that we're just the assembly of God's people in one location. And he says, we need to downplay that and make more prominent what it means to be born again what it means to be a true believer. All right, here's Matthew chapter 16, and I'm only putting one verse up here, but you remember the conversation Jesus is having with his disciples, who, who, what's, what, what's the word on the street about me? What are they saying? And they say, well, you're this or that. And he said, but who do you think I am? And Peter blurts out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And 
And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood people didn't tell you this, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And upon this rock, this is it. Upon this rock, I will build my church. This is the one of the few times he mentions church. But what a time to mention it, right? Upon this rock, I said this on a Wednesday night. I, I, I'm having to watch what I, how I say this. I, I want to use other superlatives. I'm just saying it really, okay, I'm trying to back up here. I don't want to use the word stupid or ignorant or anything like that. But anybody who thinks he was talking about building his church on Peter has got to be. <laughs> really? What in the world did they do when he got killed? Really? Well, the Pope's fault. No, there wasn't a Pope. And there's people that make a, their, their entire church identity is resting on, well, Peter must have been, no, he could not be the rock. I mean, my goodness, he was cussing not long after that. Well, he was using profanity, we'll put it that way. But it couldn't be. He was telling that, what you just said, what you just said is I will build my church. I, this is my work. This is my church. I will build my church. Now, I might, or I'll think about it. It says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And most everyone that knows that biblical history and church history, there were no buildings like this for people to meet in until about 300 years after Jesus established the church. They met in homes. I want to tell you right now, the church is meeting in Bibb County this morning. The church is meeting in Tuscaloosa. The church, how many churches are they in Tuscaloosa? One. I know it's a trick question. Fred Shuckard gets everybody on that. How many churches are in Tuscaloosa? One. There's a church meeting this morning in Karabonova, Russia. Because I've been in that little gathering of people in a home because the Orthodox will not let them have any building in that community. And here they are in this house. I was able to be there. They got the smallest keyboard I think I've ever seen. And the pastor and his wife are leading 20-something people. They got their hands raised, praising God. I don't understand anything they're saying, but I understand what's going on. Anywhere in Bibb County Correctional facility there's a church inside there the church is there the church is meeting everywhere it's wherever two or three are gathered he says that's the assembly of my church and i will build my church one of the most dangerous places in all of our in the nations to be a christian is north korea and yet he's building his church there through the martyrdom through the persecution through detention centers through just unbelievable pain but the church is still flourishing in north korea it's flourishing in china they cannot stop it the iron bars of prisons cannot stop it they put these preachers in prison and they win the prisoners to the lord and uh, and you're not really considered a really good pastor in china if you haven't served time that's part of your resume how many times you put in been in prison four times oh well we'll take you and I can't wait for the fifth time to go. And, and, and really, that's the way they look at it. It says, God gives me the opportunity to go into prison. I can, and then they send them back out. And, and it's just this revolving door. And people are coming to the Lord no matter how the government of China 
tries to suffocate the church, they cannot stop what Jesus is doing. He is building his church. He's building it in India. He's building it in Vietnam and Japan and Saudi Arabia. We have no idea how great the church is doing. Because we might not be getting the feedback from some of those countries. But there's believers there. There might be two or three meeting in a coffee shop, meeting secretly underground, above ground. Wherever they're meeting, he is building his church. And he said, the gates of hell cannot stop it. Nothing can stop it. I will build my church. And the church is exploding. You know, maybe America is the only place that's kind of died down a little bit. But I believe it's starting to move. And God is doing things on campuses. There's a church that meets at, at the UA campus, right? I want you to know that this church is multi-campus. We have a Hardy's campus in our church. Come on now. We're going multi-campus. Every Thursday morning, we got the church meeting at Hardy's. When you meet somewhere and you're meeting with people and you're going over scripture and devotion and prayer and, and just discipling each other and holding each other accountable, that's the church in assembly. No wonder he said it's in two or three gather. It's not like that he's, that's a minimum amount. He says that's still fellowship. And he said, I will build my church. The next point is this. The church is operating under his power. Look at this slide I didn't put all of the scripture I'm going to read, but uh, I'm going to read, begin reading with verse 17. And th this is also coming from Ephesians. And, and I just love Ephesians. I hope you fall in love with Ephesians. He, I'm going to start with verse 17. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's two prayers that Paul writes out in this letter to the church at Ephesus. One's in chapter 1 and one's in chapter 3. Powerful prayers. And this is part of that prayer. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And I believe it starts it right here or, or somewhere along in there. And his incomparably great power... For us who believe, the power is the same, get this, the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The dominance of the power of God is at work in his church, the ecclesia of God. That is you, my friend. We are part of that ecclesia. We are part of the people, he's saying, that the great power of God that raised Christ from the dead is what hit you when you were born again. We didn't sign up for the kingdom of God. We were birthed into it. By the power of God. There seems to be sometimes though, a little bit of a power shortage in our church. In the churches as a whole. Not walking within the power that he says we should walk in. That there's a little bit of maybe drawing back away from controversial things. 
drawn away from darkness instead of shining the light on darkness. Where is our fight? Where is the fire? Where is the passion of God? I was just talking to a gentleman this yesterday right at, outside the church, and he is going to a church that's drying up, and he says, you know, I don't know how long our church can make. It was down to 20 people. And he was talking about how the, the structure of that church, the institution, is starting to go liberal and starting to backpedal on the principles on which it was birthed. And he says, I don't think our church is going to make it. But he's there. And he says, I'm going to be there. And when it stops, he said, I think I'll be here. But I'm going to be there until it stops. And I, I understand what he was saying. He's like, what has happened there is that we kind of lower down our standards so that we kind of like fit in more culturally. We don't know anything about that, do we? You know the... The word ecclesia comes from ek out and kaleo, which means to call, and that sounds familiar, doesn't it? The young people are the ecclesia of God in company, in, in assembly, discipling each other, loving each other. Angels rolled back the stone not to let Jesus out. Angels rolled back the stone to let people see that what happened there was absolutely miraculous. Grave clothes like a cocoon was laying flat on that bench. As Jesus, a corpse, showing bruises and battered and wounds, was no longer there, was no longer bruised, no more wounds, was forever resurrected. And he said that's the power that came into your life when you were born again. That very power, the resurrection power of God. We are not for a power shortage, friends, from heaven, we need to be a conduit of that power. The power of God is exerted every day in our lives. I don't think we understand how much the power of God is working in us. Keeping us. Protecting us. And I think sometimes trying to talk to us if we would just listen. Let me take you to point C. And that is the life that we have in us as the church, his life. Jesus, in one of his meetings with the disciples, following his resurrection, you remember this? this, is in John, I believe it's John chapter 20, Jesus meets with them and he breathes on them. Now, I've seen evangelists do that. And it, and it just, people fall out. I could say something there, but I'm trying not to. Trying not to. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what the purpose of that is. But I do know this. When Jesus met with his disciples and he breathed on them, it just wasn't breath. It was the life of God. It was the wind of the Holy Spirit. Because what did he say? Receive the Holy Spirit. He said, I just breathed the Holy Spirit on you. His breath, his life. The breath of God was the spirit that he was breathing over his disciples. He said, receive the spirit of God. You're not only going to have my power, you're going to have my life in you. You're going to come alive. The spirit is going to make you alive. You will know when all of this begins to happen where your life is coming from, where the energy, the, the power of God is coming from, the life of Jesus that he breathed in. There's this prayer in Ephesians 3 as well. I want to take you there. This is, I don't know, how, some of this I put up here. I think it's verse 16. Let me start with verse 14. But if you're at, 
I, I wish you would just mark Ephesians down for your Bible reading this week. And while you're at it, just go with Colossians. You'll, you'll, you'll blow a fuse. It'll just be too much for you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Here he goes. He's praying for these people a second time in this epistle. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray you be rooted and established in love. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. Don't you want to know that? The greatness of his love. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Yes. Yes, I take that. Is anybody wanting to raise your hand and say, yes. Yes, the fullness of God. How could we ever handle the fullness of God? But he says, at least go for it. Experience the life of God, this life, this power. According to his power, which is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, in the ecclesia. This is another place, the ecclesia, the, the assembly of God people, the assemblies of, not assemblies of God, but the people assembled in Jesus' name. That's the church. That's why this, the church is everywhere. The church is in prison. The church is not many churches. It's one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church, one body of Christ. And we're about to get to that point, the last point. His body, he is the head and we are the body, right? That means we're joined to him. I just, I just wish that we would get a little bit of a greater revelation that every day we're walking through life, he is our head. He is our covering. He is connected to us, not on Sunday, every day. Every day. I was, I thought the way we were raised as kids, that was the way everybody was raised. In prayer, the word of God, we never miss anything at church. And my parents were the same on Monday as they were on Sunday. That's not true for everybody. Is he only the head of your life on Sunday? Or is he the source of our life on Monday? Or Tuesday? Or whenever? That his knowledge is just flowing through us. And, or, or it's available to us. Let me put it that way. It's available. The availability of Christ to us comes right here. I'm, I'm going to share this from, you got the next slide up there on his body? Ephesians 1.22, this is verse 22. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, the ecclesia, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And just go on to Colossians 1 and the praise team can come on up. Boy, I love Colossians. Does anybody love Colossians? Man, and you read this in the King James, he's like, I wish I wrote that. The superlatives, the sun is the image. Just try to focus on, even with there's movement, listen to this. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is the beginning of all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among all the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And he is connected to us. And through him to reconcile to himself things, whether things are on earth or in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, how many like the now? But now you have been reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. I'll take that too. Don't want you to take that. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We are the body of Christ. We are connected to him. Every tribe, every language, all those people groups, who know? Who knows? Who has had a revelation from Jesus in their sleep? What Muslim girl or child or boy or man or woman or family? Virginia Lee Mathis tells about this entire Kazakhstan family that's all come to faith right there in Moscow. The whole family. What a wonderful thing. God speaks to people and he draws them. When I taught in the Far East extension of Moscow Theological Institute in Havaris, in 2001 four weeks I was there I taught on the book of Acts and I taught on homiletics and you try to teach homiletics to people who speak Russian and, and your interpreter is trying to tell them in Russian what I'm saying in English but I said this and I want our, our guys to find their places because we're going to have communion I, I said through my interpreter her name was Olga before you put an image in your mind, she was a tall, slender young lady. And I said, I want you to tell them at the end of the last class, after the final exam, we're going to have communion. And she looked at me and says, that's not a good idea. I said, why? She said, because they all kind of do it differently and there's disagreements on how to do it. I said, okay, there's going to be a different way to do it today my way <laughs> so you tell them that we're going to have communion the way we have communion in the U.S. and I, it was good as long as I wasn't associating it with them because we were connected through the blood of Jesus we are connected through the blood of Jesus I want you to stand with me and here's what we're going to do something different today okay I, I want to reserve a couple of these rolls up front for people that have trouble standing for a long time. But I want the rest of you, after you get served, to come on up and we're going to stand across here. And I'll tell you why. When I was growing up, you didn't get your plate of food and went in and sat in the living room and watched television. We never thought about that. We ate at the table together 
Today, I want you to be at the table, close to each other. Another thing, when you go to get the bread, you'll find out there's a larger portion of bread. And I did that on purpose because I want you to think about taking more of Jesus in your life from this day forward. Lord, I ask that this morning that we just do what this song says. I surrender everything to you. I lay my life down. I give myself to you, Lord. Why shouldn't I? You laid down your life for me. You laid down your life for us. And it's through that sacrifice that we know you. And now you call us to lay down our lives for you, to surrender ourselves. As we approach this cup and bread, your altar, your table, your sacrifice, help us to be refreshed in our connection with you, in our life with you, in Jesus' name. So you can come down the center aisle, both the back section and this section, the first rows come, and I want you to try to get as close to the steps as you can, on around, wrap around this platform and in the aisle way, but we wanna get as many people up here, and please, if you need to sit down after getting the cup and bread, we want you to, have a place up here where you can you can have communion without any distress on your body.